Welcome to the State of Developer Education, a podcast by Major League Hacking. We explore how technical leaders are creatively tackling the developer education gap to help prepare the next generation of technologists for the real world and build businesses that can adapt to any changes in the technology ecosystem. I'm your host, John Gottfried. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the State of Developer Education. I'm John, your friendly host, and I'm here today with Emily Lin, who is Developer Evangelist at uh, Consensus for Truffle. Uh, how's it going, Emily? I'm doing well. It's Friday. I'm excited for the weekend. <laughs> I've been excited to talk to you, too. So Awesome. Me, too. Um, well, thank you for, for being here. Uh, I'm really excited to hear uh, about what you're working on and what your career has, you know, kind of had uh, so far. I always like to start with my guests kind of back at the beginning, though, because we are talking about education and a lot of the folks who are listening to this um, are working with folks early in their careers. So let's go all the way back in time. And why don't you tell us about how you got started in tech? Yeah. Um, so I guess I went kind of a traditional path. Uh Went through high school. I went to college. I actually came into college first wanting to be a medical student. And then I stepped on campus, immediately realized like, wait, no, the world is my oyster. I have no clue what I want to do. I can do anything. Um, so I came in as a chemistry major, never took a chemistry course at all. I immediately jumped into economics because like every other person, I obviously wanted to be a consultant. That's the dream, right? Uh, definitely the dream. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So then um, macroeconomics broke me. Uh, and then freshman spring, what happened was I was still kind of lost trying to figure out what I wanted to do. Um, I had heard basically our beginner CS course was being taught by one of the most like popular professors on campus. Um I had actually sworn off computer science going into college because I took it in high school as well and I hated it. So I was like, obviously this isn't for me, but um, going to college, I was like, you know, I'll keep an open mind. So I took the first class and I really loved it. Um, I think compared to my other coursework, the thing I really liked about like CS programs in general is that the content and the curriculum is very project based. Um, so it felt like throughout my classes, everything was very tangible. Um, I was really into kind of the creation aspect of it. And it was interesting, like it challenges, you know, the way you think um, and everything. So that that was kind of my first foray into working in tech was basically through college. That's super interesting. I, I was actually having a conversation with someone earlier today who said the exact opposite, that they felt like all of their courses were not project-based at all. And I'm guessing it varies a lot from school to school. You know, do you feel like your school was ahead of the curve there? Like, why was it so applied? Like, I, I've certainly, mm, you know, that's seen a, a lot of question. theoretical CS. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's probably just the way I hacked my coursework. <laughs> Essentially, um, we had like project requirements or class, uh, major requirements. So classes like discrete math and algorithms and like more of that theoretical stuff isn't going to be project based. Right. But the way um, so I went to Dartmouth, the way our course curriculum was structured was pretty much like you need to fulfill like you need to take two classes in this number group two classes in this number group. So there was a lot of flexibility to play around. Um, and I knew I really enjoyed the project-based courses. So when I could, I would try to basically dive into, take the classes that I knew were more like coding-based rather than like writing a test. Because um, I don't know, coding on paper just doesn't make sense. You, know? <laughs> you can't really debug it super easily. No, no not at all. Yeah. Okay, that, that makes a lot of sense. I, I um, It's funny, like I really loved coding, but switched out of computer science to history because it was all theory at my school. Mm. Um, and I was like, why do I need this ON stuff? Like, I can't imagine ever when I would use that. Um, now I wish I knew it, but you know. Yeah, yeah. Hindsight's 20. Oh, okay, we learned that too. We learned that too, but that wasn't like, like it's not like my culminating project was a... Um, like a paper of any sort, you know? Yeah, totally. Um, so, you know, you took these classes, you really love the project component. Um, I, I know that, you know, from the MLH community, you were super involved with your campus hackathon too. 
how did you get involved with that and and how did that sort of impact your your direction yeah 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 so um that also happened freshman spring essentially um that was a bit of a family connection to an extent. So the guy who actually started Hack Dartmouth um, on campus was a old family friend. Uh, so he was a bit of a mentor for me um, coming in. And I was like, you know, I want to join a club. What's going on? And um, I think joining the hackathon group, like a basically a student group that was so nascent, really appealed to me. Um coming into a place where I could have agency immediately as a freshman um, rather than kind of storied history of a club that's been throughout like Dartmouth's like past since 1769 or something like that, you know, uh, was really cool. So I joined, um, I basically took on the role of handling sponsorship and marketing. Um, and I think in terms of, you know, how that shaped my journey moving forward through college is it it really plugs you into the tech ecosystem space. Um, you're constantly being surrounded by people who are builders, um, people really excited about what they do. I think I had mentioned to you this to you in your our, our pre-brief of like, where else are you going to be around people willing to code for 24 hours, 48 hours straight and like not sleep? It's, it's, it's going to be at a hackathon. Right. And I really appreciated that energy. So it was one part, you know, that got me bigger into the tech world that exposed me to a culture that I was a really big fan of. And then also just, I think interfacing with companies as well. Um, just like realizing, you know, budgets are huge, like sponsorship. I was like, <laughs> I remember being like, wow, we have so much money. Like, companies are just throwing money at us and I don't understand why, but I'll take it. Um, but, but that, that was kind a nice of interesting problem to have. Too. Yeah. Yeah. It was definitely a nice problem. To have. A lot of flexibility and kind of like the way we could curate a hackathon experience mm -hmm. um, as well. Yeah. It's funny. Like I, still feel like at most schools hackathons are so under the radar when it comes to like student autonomy like what other organizations on campus get like full control over hundreds of thousands of dollars like that's yeah. not a thing that students get to do no i'm 18 why are you giving me forty thousand yeah. dollars? yeah no it's kind of wild yeah definitely a, a lot of anomalous things about hackathons so you got involved with sponsorship and marketing that's obviously quite different from computer science like mm. what was it about that that you enjoyed yeah yeah so I think in general my vibe has always been breadth over depth I definitely enjoyed my CS courses but I'm definitely not enough of a tech head that like I would want to join a club and then also be responsible for like running the website doing all the coding thing and again I think I just wanted to get exposure to a lot of different things. The hackathon itself was already tech focused enough that, you know, I was like, hey, I can explore different roles. So, um, yeah, marketing was something I didn't have experience in um, and I felt like could fit in with my skill set um, in the sense that I think I, I really like to talk to people. Um, obviously that's why I'm here too, right? Um, and, and I think joining that role kind of confirmed um, you know, my, my strengths in that area. Um, and so it, it allowed me to establish kind of this good hybrid role of, you know, being able to be an external communicator as well as still being connected to like very technical people. Um, and that's kind of why I chose to go down that path. But I mean, we were a scrappy team. You kind of ended up doing a little bit of everything anyways. Um, that was just like my primary responsibility, but definitely fingers in the pie elsewhere as well. You know, it's funny, I've met a lot of um, people who ended up in marketing or sales roles that had been programmers at some point in their career. Um, and they, they seem to have kind of a, kind of a unique perspective uh, versus folks who are totally specialized in one of those areas. Like for you, how did being a programmer impact how you approached sales and marketing? Yeah, yeah. So I wouldn't say it was like a huge impact within kind of me as a hackathon runner to an extent. Um, I think my background as a uh, dev feeding into like this hybrid uh, marketing role actually really inspired kind of the job I'm in right now, right? So like you said, I'm a developer evangelist. I don't know how many people on the podcast are familiar with that role. Um, I, I would guess a lot of folks who are listening have probably met a developer evangelist before, but might not know a lot about day to day. 
Right, right, right. So, I mean, like basically the way I would describe it is like our mandate is to get as many developers onboarded onto our developer tooling um, as possible. Make that experience very easy, uh, whether that be through education, tutorials, uh, meeting them out in the wild, going to hackathons, building with them. Um, And I think basically some people describe it as technical marketing, right? Because you cannot communicate to developers unless you are a developer yourself, right? So I think in that sense, having this kind of multifaceted background has put me in a really good position to be able to communicate with my primary audience, right? Because I think in the same way, just like a dev isn't going to trust a non-dev. If I'm trying to tell you like, hey, you should use this tool. And I'm like, have you even coded before? And your answer is no, like there's, you have no clout, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, yeah, I think, I don't remember what the original question was, but that's, yeah. You know, it's kind of an interesting, um, unique problem to working with developers. Like, it's hard to think of another field where individual like expertise and how discerning you are factors in so much to your relationship with like a product. Like, I don't think about like, I don't know, like what makes up this microphone I'm using, right? Like they're, they're selling to a consumer audience. Um, why do you think developers are so like, I don't know, like, I don't want to say skeptical, but like it is a level of skepticism. Like why, why do you have to be like them to be trusted? Um, yeah, I mean, developer tooling, I think, or like to be a developer and want to adopt a developer tool is going to basic, basically, I would say like make or break your work life experience, mm-hmm. right? Because that's going to be something you're using day to day. And I want to use tools vetted by professionals. Um, I think there's a lot of things that go into like why I would pick to use a tool, right? One being, you know, how good is the documentation? Mm-hmm. How supportive is the community um are there uh like big companies in the space right now also using that tool and kind of as social proof for it um Mm -hmm. as well as like if i learned how to use this tool are there like and i want to leave this job am i going to lose that kind of um uh, is that expertise going to be not as useful because it's actually not a very widely used tool as well Mm -hmm. um so there's a lot of like I guess, network effects of like, once you choose to start using something, it it affects both your daily life and kind of your future career prospects as well, to an extent, right? Um, And so I think there's a really important point of like, choosing the right tool. um, And someone coming at you from just a pure marketing example, like angle who doesn't understand your experience, can come with like, can be perceived as malicious intent, right? Because at the end of the day, you you don't want to feel like you are a like a number to them, right? Mm-hmm. Like I'm just a sales figure. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, like even within, you know, I used to be a dev as well. So I worked as a uh, DevOps engineer and back engineer for three to four years, mm-hmm. right? And the way we adopted new technologies was developers, we were like needed to solve a problem or something. And maybe our current tooling didn't address it. Um, and then we would go out and explore and, tinker around and see what was easy to use. And then through that, that would be like the, it's kind of like a bottom up sales funnel to an extent, Mm -hmm. right? Because then we'd be like, okay, now we want to adopt this tool. Let's talk to our higher ups and get them involved in the conversations with like the actual purchasing of the licensing of like the tools to bring them in internally. Um, But, you know, a lot of things actually that we use nowadays are open source as well. Uh, Mm -hmm. So it's not as important. I think, um, you know, I, I, I guess I'm diving into open source tooling now as well, but open source, you know, is also all about community. Mm -hmm. Um, And you want to be a part of a community of builders that you trust as well. And so I I, I don't know, there is definitely a little bit of like a, I don't want to say evil undertone, but, you know, questionable perspectives when someone's coming at you from a sales funnel perspective versus like someone who can actually sympathize with your experience. I think being able to relate is a big part of it. I also feel like old school sales strategies are not necessarily well fitted for software development. Like just because someone is really good at sales does not mean you're going to change your whole roadmap to integrate that product. Yeah. You know, like it has to be a solution for a problem you're already trying to solve in some way. Yeah. Yeah. 
absolutely. Because the overhead of switching tools is also very expensive. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah. So it's interesting because you're talking about like developers solving problems and developers choosing between all of these tools. You're in a space that in some ways is almost like the Wild West, right? Like there are so many different tools, so many different platforms, so many different technologies. Like how can developers choose? You know, like like how do you, how did you get involved with Web3? And I feel like we can go from there. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so how did I get into Web3 is an interesting question. Um, so the first time I kind of heard about crypto was the 2016-2017 bull run with Bitcoin. Um, that's not actually when I got into crypto, um, but my sister did. Uh, and so she was super into it. So I kind of always had this like fly in my ear telling me how great decentralization is and everything. And I, I definitely thought it was interesting, right? Like DeFi um, and the applications of it was cool. But I was in college. Those weren't my priorities. I'm not like a super uh, big risk taker either. Mm -hmm. um, so I kind of went the traditional path of I graduated college with my CS degree. I went into um, kind of... Uh, a normal web two job. And then it was actually in 2020, end of 2021. Um, I was like, New Year's resolution, I'm going to get a new job. Mm. Not entirely satisfied with where I'm at right now. And I was trying to figure out why. And it was a combination of like, I felt like as a pure engineer, I wasn't utilizing my full skill set. There was a lot of like interpersonal, like code pairing as well, but I wanted kind of more exposure to external teams outside of engineering. Um, and that alongside of like industry wise, I wasn't super passionate about either. I worked for a B2B SaaS company, which is not sexy at all. Right? <laughs> like no one understood what I did. I mean, to mm -hmm. be fair, no one really understands what I do now either. Um, well, some people do, but like my mom doesn't. Right. Um, and I think, I think that's the point with like the same thing between web three and B2B SaaS is like, I can't explain it to my mom that well, <laughs> but, but yeah, I was like trying to figure out, you know, what job, what kind of job do I want and what kind of industry do I want to switch to in 2022? Um, and so this is kind of where my sister comes into play again. Right. Mm -hmm. So at that time she had been working at, well, I guess a few months before she was DevRel for PyTorch at Facebook mm -hmm. um, and then transitioned into head of DevRel um, at Xerox Labs, which is a DeFi protocol. Uh, and so kind of through exposure through her, I got, that's how I found out about the DevRel profession, actually. And I was like, wow, this is really cool. It is kind of that marriage of both like the experience that I had in college marketing, um, as well as leveraging my technical background. Mm -hmm. um, and so that was a profession I got really interested in. And then my sister being in DeFi, um, I got to meet a lot of her coworkers and started mm -hmm. to kind of get into the space through that. Um, and I found myself again in a community of builders um, because it is, like you said, the Wild West. Everyone's trying to figure things out. If you're in Web3, it's because you want to be in Web3. It's not like you just like, oh, yeah, this is a job I got and I like to climb on the weekends or something like that. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and and I that that's we're going that's straight of, for the the Silicon Valley memes today. <laughs> Hopefully, no one feels personally attacked. I climb <laughs> sometimes too, but yeah, I, I I used to live in San Francisco, um, so I was I was very used to that culture, and I think that was a bit of like I felt like there was a bit of a monoculture culture um, mm -hmm. living in the Bay um, of I, I guess this doesn't really tie into why why I got into Web three, so I'm just going to end this. I mean, it's interesting nonetheless, but... <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But I, I just knew... So basically, when I started applying, I applied for DevRel jobs, I applied for jobs in Web3, and I applied for jobs that were DevRel in Web3. And I got really lucky and landed a DevRel job in Web3. I don't know if I could execute it again, but here I am. Um, right right time, right place, right skill set, right? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. So given that this is your your first kind of professional role in the web three space, right? Mm -hmm. um, I'm an outsider, you know, like I've played with a lot of these technologies. I've seen some of the consumer use cases, but I don't feel like I fully understand it. You know, what what has that learning curve been like for you? Because like, you're working on something that is a developer tool explicitly. Right. And in the web three space, you have this weird, like, almost like, I don't know, like, 
the ecosystem includes developer tools, consumer tools, finance tools, like it's mixing all of these things that don't normally mix, right? And so how have you been learning about that and getting up to speed on how all yeah, the pieces come together? That's such a great question. I feel like I'm the worst person to ask that because like I said, I think getting my job was a bit of a hack. I don't know how it happened. I didn't really have that much Web3 experience before going in. I just knew I really wanted to be a part of the industry. Um, and so kind of jumping in, um, most of my ramp up period has just been working in Web3. As you like start to get exposed to the industry, um, you hear all of these different things. And because I was I had such close access to people who were actually working Web3, it was very easy for me to just like ask questions. Like I live with someone who works in Web3. I work with people who work in Web3. And that was kind of how I got ramped up is just that very like interpersonal like Q&A immediate back like back and forth um, which I am incredibly fortunate to have but in terms of like trying to figure out you know like understand web3 or you know get into the space um, that's a little bit of why I chose to work in truffle specifically as opposed to other developer tools right so in the, I guess, ecosystem of developer tools, you have things like the base, um, like blockchain or side chains. I, I could get into like more technical things, but you can think of like- Yeah, keep it in layman's terms because otherwise yeah. I'll have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> okay, okay, cool. Let's just split it into like, uh, I'll just give two basic examples. So Truffle is a blockchain development environment. So basically you can think of us as the tool necessary to just build an application, right? Um, in the realm of developer tools as well, you have things like APIs, right? That's like a higher level up. Um, I chose specifically to work for Truffle at the kind of lowest layer because I wanted exposure to the entire industry. Because do I know what's going to win or what's happening? I'm not allowed to give financial advice in any way, shape or form. Um, but uh, I, I was really passionate about getting to know a little bit of everything. Um, and so working for a developer tool that is used by every vertical of Web3 has been really helpful for me to gain like a breadth over depth experience because I am working for, for, uh, with devs who are working in like DeFi, working in NFTs, working in like scaling and other things that are happening in Web3. Um, but yeah, as for onboarding, like the way I put it, honestly, is like twofold, two part, right? Like. I think the success of Web3 will happen when no one needs to understand what Web3 is. It's like no one understands how the internet actually works, but we all use it. <laughs> like, what, what is HTTP? Like, it doesn't matter, right? Um, yeah, and, and in the same way, too, it's such a broad, um, you know, category of things. If you want to work in Web3, just like choose one thing because it moves so fast. It's always changing. Like, don't feel pressured to know everything because... We in the industry measure it in dog years and not human years, just because it's so new. Um, what, what do you mean by that? So it's like basically one year in like Web3 is like equivalent to seven years in the real life, like That's in the real world, because um, things are just always changing, like super fast. Um, it certainly seems that way. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, it's it's definitely a cool learning experience to be like selling tooling right like mm. you're kind of like diversifying what you can touch and what you can interact with it's very equivalent to like you know if you are a cloud platform there's infinite use cases for that yeah technology. yeah you know they're they're you're not stuck to one really narrow focused piece of software you're enabling people to build lots of things and i i like you know when i was at twilio like i'm even now at mlh I can never predict what someone's going to build. You know, like yeah. people come up with all sorts of wild ideas and usually they're way more impressive than anything I would come up with. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm not smart at all compared to the people I interact with. But that, that's what I love about my job too. Um, I think just being exposed to like incredibly intelligent people mm -hmm. um, is one of the, I think, the big upsides to working in Web3. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So... You've talked about community quite a few mm -hmm. times here. Yeah. Like, what does that mean from your perspective? And, and I know that sounds like a really basic question, but like, it's an honest one. Yeah. Um, 
that's a very broad question. I'm going to narrow the scope to probably the point of my job, right? So developer community. Sure. Specifically. So like, what does a developer community mean? Um, Basically, I think the way I see developer community is just kind of a ecosystem of people like encountering similar problems or no, let me let me rephrase this. An ecosystem where devs can build and learn from each other. So it serves Mm. a multitude of purposes, right? Um, Like I said, kind of coming back to the core of like, as a developer, how are you choosing your tools, right? One of the pieces I would say developer community is really important because that ties very strongly into developer support. Mm -hmm. Like as a company, like we can only dedicate so many resources to answering a lot of questions. That's why things like Stack Overflow exists Mm -hmm. and things like that. Like crowdsourcing, um, you know, support or people who have like encountered very similar, incredibly niche problems um, is a really big part of developer community. Um, Like, Getting excitement around a product and feeling connected to a system is also how you kind of get those network effects of like, hey, Bob at company A uh, worked with Truffle here as he moves on to like company B. He carries that expertise and excitement and connection to that product to kind of his future careers. And then he becomes an ambassador moving forward. So, um, yeah, like I guess to kind of summarize, right? Community is just like a very strong tool for the developer themselves to gain help from the ecosystem, as well as, I guess, you know, within communities too, that's where builders find other builders to start their own projects Mm -hmm. as well. Um, That's like the benefit for the developers, but on the company side, right? You want to find people who love your product and like grow together and kind of create, I guess, bonds and friendships that will take them throughout their entire development journey or something like that. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, there's a really strong business use case, but also as like a dev myself, you know, like just participating in forums and on Reddit and all of that, like that all feeds into developer community and develops love for certain tools and products. I feel like web three communities in particular look very different than a traditional developer community as well. Like yes. <laughs> when I think of developer community and I think of web three communities and, and this may just be a perception. So please like tell me if this is an accurate perception. Like it seems like the developer communities in web three spaces have a lot more ownership and autonomy over like direction and outcomes of the technologies they are using. And then that's yeah. a very broad statement, but. I mean, I would at least agree with that for the truffle community. And I, I think my exposure to other Web3 dev communities as well. Um, And I think a lot of it just has to do with the fact that we are so new, Mm. right? Um, The people like where our product vision is going is kind of also developing with the industry itself. Um, And we build for the builders because they're the ones who are going to determine the success or failure of Web3, right? Um, And so the community is also like a really strong touch point for a cycle of user feedback. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, there is a lot of pushback when you work in Web3. So I think you have a culture of people who are very strongly bound by certain ideals and want to feed off of each other's energies and like learn from each other and basically drive um, a whole new, I I guess, like revolution in a sense. Um, I I feel like I'm making myself sound crazy of some sort, but like, I don't know, that's how I joined, right? It's just, it's fun being kind of part of um, a movement. Um, But yeah, I don't, Hmm. yeah. I hope that answered the question. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Um, When you look at folks who are early in their careers, what opportunities do you think exist for them in, in this new space? Um, early in their careers as a new, like, just starting. I, I, I would like to say early in career instead of students, because like not everyone is coming out of a college, right? Like early yeah. in career to me means people who are in their, you know, beginnings of their professional software development life. Yeah. Um, no, I think, Actually, Web3 is a really great space for like 
newbies in general because it is a new space you know learning how to build in web3 and what is web3 is not something that's really built into i guess you could say traditional institutions to an extent right so there is a really ripe opportunity for people who just like if you know about it that's actually already a really great entry point into the Mm. industry um having interest in like some background is basically enough i would say um so i would say in that sense like the Barrier to entry is very low um, because basically anyone who's interested um, can get involved and can get involved in like very obvious ways, which is just through getting involved in communities because the entire industry is based around communities. You have things called like DAOs, which are basically decentralized autonomous organizations that you can, they're just like, a lot of them are just giant discord servers where you can just jump in. And you're immediately folded into a group of people who are incredibly knowledgeable and want to help you. Um, And so I would say Web3 is very democratic. Like tech itself is already, I feel like, a pretty level playing ground. Like people are coming from coding boot camps Mm -hmm. and stuff like that and like landing jobs at big tech. But I would say Web3 is probably even like one layer below that. Like there's... Like uh, there's no need for a traditional schooling path at all. It's yeah. And and the same thing with like background in terms of certification wise, you know, just building a DAP, knowing how to write solidity, like is enough of an entry point, I think as well, just because the number of devs who can actually engage with that level of the stack is also a pretty small portion. Um, And that is to say, like, I think people also think that they need to know how to build on blockchain to work in Web3. Mm-hmm. That's false. It's like the full stack, right? So you can think of like solidity development as like connecting directly to the blockchain, but you still need your like front end devs and your mobile devs and all of that to create, um, you know, the user experience portion of it. So it's really open to kind of the entire industry, regardless of technical experience. Do you have to become part of a DAO to join a Web3 community? Oh, no, 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 no. Absolutely not. Um, I, I was just saying like that is, I would say joining a DAO is a really easy entry point. Um, Why? Like what's special about that model? Um, oh, what's special about, well, there's, I, I guess there's just so many surround, like, um, okay. Uh, like, well, what's the difference between me hopping in a Discord server of a bunch of Web3 developers and me becoming formally part of a, a DAO? Well, it, I guess it depends on the DAO as well, right? But there is, being formally part of a DAO, I think offers a little bit more structure and an incentive mechanism. It is just a more Web3 native way. If you want to just hop on a Discord server, it is kind of also the same thing, you know? Uh, there's there's not, yeah, it, there's like community-focused DAOs, which is like the ones that I'm talking about that are going to feel a little bit more like hopping into a Discord server and just like talking to people. Um, there are more like actual like company kind of DAOs focused on like generating revenue and creating mm-hmm. like value in those ways that can you can also jump into. But um, sorry, when I meant like just jumping into a DAO and like getting information, I'm talking specifically about the DAOs focused on educating beginners. And so that experience is like pretty similar. Um, the barrier entry is relatively low. Um, but like I said, kind of getting there. like if you want to join just like a Reddit, I guess, as well of like devs, that's optional too. Um, but it is a less, I would say, tailored experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, the reason I ask is because like a DAO is a particular governance structure, right? right. Or a community. And it is interesting to like compare it to traditional governance structures, which I think in most tech communities have some kind of like benevolent dictatorship, right? Like often the creator or the company or some passionate community member effectively owns that community, right? Right. Whether they're Reddit mods or Discord server owners or something else. And it does feel like, like I don't know necessarily what, the difference is in a day-to-day sense like it might not be very big but there is a structural difference right right it's like collective ownership of decisions making essentially right so if you join a DAO you have like certain 
like depending on your level of contribution. And again, every DAO is set up differently. So I can't speak super broadly to this, mm -hmm. right? But the idea is that decisions are made collectively, transparently and openly. Um, and so if you want to be a part of that community, it's great too, because you can kind of contribute and own a portion of it as well. Mm -hmm. um, which I think kind of feeds back into that cycle of just getting kind of deeper into the rabbit hole and being embedded into a group of people that can help you onboard into like the Web3 ecosystem yeah. if you want. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so in a lot of your work in Web3, I've noticed that you produce a lot of really cool content, right? And in particular, like I saw that you have a series where you talk to different experts and learn about their technologies and implement it together, which is a really interesting, like almost like learning by teaching method. Um, what what have you you picked up through this process? Like, I, I mean, there's a lot of different technologies you've touched. Yeah, what have I picked? That's, I guess, a very broad question. I would say like my biggest learning experience from that is basically just like learning how to code in a sense. Okay. Like code solidity, like I am the worst at following any sort of curriculum. Hmm. So things like Udemy or like zero to hero courses, I will take one, like two, two hours of it. and I'll just be done. Like I can't follow it. I'm very much a learn by building kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So throughout the entire process, I was like, number one, I got involved with Truffle because I could interact with essentially any protocol that I wanted. Um, so that gives me a lot of flexibility in like the types of people I can interview um, and like the things I can build with them. Um, and then like, yeah, throughout the entire process, basically, I've just building dApps, um, integrating different protocols, just figuring out, you know, how to build in Solidity. And, and that's kind of my learning journey. Mm -hmm. Um by building in public. And I think it's really relatable to make mistakes in front of other people too, is because they'd learn by like, oh, I have this bug kind of thing. Um, specifically, what I chose, how I chose to structure this series as well is having the kind of the subject matter expert that I am like building the tutorial with, like actually watch me. So I don't actually have help from them before I build a tutorial. It's all happening live. Um, and I think that's a really great entry point for, you know, them saying like, hey, actually, Emily, you didn't use like this tool we had, or this would actually be a better way to structure it. And I think that was a really helpful learning experience to me in the sense that we almost always like build in vacuums, mm -hmm. right? And, and like I can implement a project using someone's tool, but no one knows how to use that tool better than the person who built it. And so giving people direct access to, you know, that person's knowledge base was something I really wanted to kind of leverage given that I have connections within the space. Mm -hmm. But yeah, hmm. biggest takeaway is just like learning. Learning best practices is probably <laughs> how I would summarize it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's it's pair programming in public, right? Right, like, yeah. I I don't know. I feel like being able to get real-time feedback allows you to iterate that much more quickly on what you're doing. Um, it's funny because it's like so obviously missing from most traditional computer science courses. In fact, like many of them are, are uh, I don't, I don't know what, how, how to describe it, but almost like afraid of collaboration for fear of cheating, you know? And so you have this really weird cycle of like, in the real world, developers do learn from each other and by collaborating and working together. And in classes, a lot of the time they, they're forced to be in a silo. Yeah. 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 It's tough. Um, so you've been learning all these different platforms, right? And, and obviously, you know, using that as a, as a, mechanism to teach other people about the capabilities of Truffle and also, you know, the, the platforms that you can utilize. Um, are there any other uh, resources or, you know, educational like providers that you've seen that, that you've gotten a lot out of in, in this mm. space? Yeah. I mean, so I, um, so consensus obviously has our own consensus Academy Mm -hmm. kind of thing. So that's like a zero to hero course. I really like um, if you've heard of Patrick Collins at all. Mm -hmm. So he's done like a 32, 36 hour 
kind of course. I've jumped in to specific places, but I'm not very good at doing like the full course. So he's a really great access. Um, but otherwise, for me, like the way I've done it, and I, I don't know how other people build is I just have like, hey, I want to build an NFT marketplace. And then I just Google it and I go through like every tutorial kind of figure out as I go along. Um, so yeah, um, but actually kind of thinking about, you know, the best ways to learn. Like I said, I chose live streaming specifically for my platform of learning um, because you need that interactive feedback. Mm-hmm. I think one um, company doing a really great job of developer education is Encode Club. Mm-hmm. So they do cohort-based learning um, all through live streams as well. Oh, cool. um, and I, I think that's super key. Like the cohort part too, right? Again, building on that community of people. And there's a really a lot of really great support there. So Encode Club, highly recommend. Awesome. Uh, yeah. Um, so in the realm of developer relations, right? Like, you know, you're doing these live streams. I'm sure you're looking at how many people are engaging with them, what the views are like, you know, feedback, things like that. Um, are, are you also doing like in-person events like conferences or, or hackathons? Yes, yes, I am. So last year I went to eight conferences, wow. I think. I, yeah, I went to like seven or eight countries last year. It was insane. I'm so, That's kind of cool. It sounds glamorous in practice. It's actually very tiring. I'm like, I have no personal life is what this shakes out to. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, yeah. No, the, the in-person event... Um, is a really key activation point as well. Again, like there's live streaming, which I is I think the closest thing you can get in a virtual sense, but then mm-hmm. actually being next to builders there, like helping them code their, like debug their specific problems, like is a next layer of um, kind of interaction. The other piece to it as well in per- terms of like conferences and developer relations is a lot of people will go to conferences to hear about like the latest developments in the space. Um, and so I will do a lot of presentations, which will range from workshops. So that's just your standard, like teaching devs how to build to talking more about broader subjects in the space. Um, and then like talking about how Truffle is like focusing on developer tooling, where we see the problems mm-hmm. happening and how we're handling that. Um, and kind of extending our influence through those ways as well just like bigger exposure people are there to hear from like subject matter experts um and more of a forward looking kind of model um that i think conferences are a really great activation point for um Um, now now that you're kind of on the other side of the table right like you used to sell sponsorships to you know devrel people and recruiters now you're you're there often as a sponsor or speaker like has your perspective changed about these events? Like, do you, do you think about them differently? Um, yeah, I mean, I think, right. So like the, the, um, you know, on the running the hackathon side, right. My primary concerns were just like, how do we increase the number of hackers? Like how do we make sure the experience is like really fun? And Mm -hmm. things like that. Once you start coming from the company side, like everything does get distilled down to a bit of like, what's our ROI Mm -hmm. on, um, you know, attending this hackathon. And it becomes like very goal oriented in the sense, like we need to understand who is attending the hackathon, right? So like what level of expertise are they at? Um, You know, when I was, and I think on the, organizer side I had we understood this to an extent right so when we were pitching to companies um I was lucky that we were at Dharma so I think we had that name brand leverage Mm -hmm. um things we would talk about as well would be like our um gender ratio like how many women are attending our hackathon and things like that um and so kind of on the flip side as a sponsor now I'm like, oh yeah, okay, yeah, I, I did a good job marketing because that is the, those are the numbers we care about. Yeah. Um, I think the way consensus is working right now is a little different because I think, um, you know, when we or we sponsor like Web three specific hackathons, and mm-hmm. the focus there is more so how do we get people's eyes on our tools? How do we make sure that people are building past the hackathon too, right? So mm-hmm. a lot of the people attending aren't necessarily 
students like there are students but there's also a lot of just like people who've been in tech for a while maybe actually wanting to start their own business right so we're actually now also coming in from like a how do we support them and help grow these projects past just a hackathon um and like incubate them moving forward which is an interesting kind of I guess, perspective that I have now, as opposed to, I think when I was supporting purely college hackathons, the, I think funnel, at least my perception of companies sponsoring college hackathons was more focused on hiring pipelines, mm-hmm. right. Um, and getting resumes and then recruiting. Whereas at least on our side, and I don't think this is like, I think this is a very web three specific kind of sponsorship hackathon paradigm of how do we create a community of builders Mm. and get our tools out, but also inspire projects that will build out the space. Mm. Hiring is kind of secondary to that. That's super interesting. Like I, when we, so when I was at Twilio and we used to sponsor professional hackathons, right? Like, and this is, you know, 10 plus years ago now. So I guarantee their strategy looks very different, but um, it was always a struggle to get people to use any particular piece of technology immediately after a hackathon, right? Like there was almost like a lag to it. Could be many months. It could even be years of finding the right use case for the thing that they had just learned about. Like, do you see the same thing in, in your world or is there more of an immediate feedback loop? Um, I think it really depends actually also on the hackathon. Hmm. Um, when you say like extend past, are you saying like projects being carried past the hackathon? Or are you saying yeah. like people? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't say it's, it's not super common, but it's definitely more common than, um, like a college hackathon. I know there are like really successful projects out there right now that were started from hackathons. Mm-hmm. Like people go to hackathons is how they make their living too. I've definitely met people. Along. I, yeah. I've met a couple of professional hackathoners in my time. Yeah, yeah. Professional hackathoners are like, that's actually how they are funding their project is they'll go from hackathon to hackathon and like build features out on their product as well. Mm-hmm. Um, really popular models is like companies will offer grants specific to projects that utilize their tools. Um, And so, yeah, I I think maybe that is a very Web3 specific culture um, is because hackathons are the entry point for innovation, essentially. Um, That's really cool. Yeah, yeah. So I I like it. Um, Yeah. Um, So getting to the end here, I I always like to end, uh, you know, with a couple of, questions I ask everyone. Um, The first question here is like, looking back, right, and and you've touched so many different technologies and communities and parts of the industry at this point, like, what would you change about how you, you know, learned technology, right? Like, what would you change about your entire educational journey coming into this space? What would I change? It's hard to say, because I feel like I really like where I'm at right now. So I feel like I don't want to change anything that happened to an extent, mm. right? Like everything kind of fell in the right spot. Like in terms of, you know, maybe directing the question more towards like what is necessary in developer education would probably be more helpful rather than like sure. what I wanted to change in my personal journey is more so I think the types of content that are out there. Mm. It's really easy, I think, to find like beginner tutorials um, or just like covering the basics. I feel like even in college, everything, like I said, is always feel like I'm building in a silo or in a vacuum to an extent. I'm like hacking away locally on my computer. Nothing matters in production, like until I get to production. But like, there's not really a lot of education about like best practices as like a working developer, right? Like, the things that I learned about how to build for scale, like what does clean code look like, best practices, like how to write like efficient tests doesn't happen until you actually work at a company Mm -hmm. and you're like figuring it out and getting mentored by devs who have been in the space for like years and can offer that knowledge. 
But unless you're like working, at least my experience, I haven't been able to find that just like outside organically through a Google search um, or like some random tutorial on the web. I can definitely get the basics, but like, especially if I'm a, I think, builder on my own. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to start my own project. Like I would, you know, how do you build a website or an app that you want to take over the world having no experience like with good coding practices and you're just going to get stuck in like a software development like black hole of technical debt um because because <laughs> there was no there were no resources out there for you to know how to write clean code right um yeah. so I, I think that's probably the biggest thing that's that's missing yeah um, I, I would completely agree it's a lot of tribal knowledge yeah yeah um awesome so so the question i always like to end on here is like is there any like aspirational figure or someone in the world of tech or even beyond that you would love to just like have for a couple hours, like take them to lunch and pick their brain? Yeah. I mean, I think two people probably like just because I work in Web3, obviously like Vitalik, right? Yep. <laughs> Is my number one. But then in terms of like the world of DevRel and everything, like I said, I think Patrick Collins does a really good job of, you know, communicating information as well as being like an incredibly deep technical expert in Solidity which I think is very difficult for developer advocates, actually, because mm -hmm. we aren't coding every single day. Yeah. To gain that kind of technical depth is very difficult. Mm -hmm. um, and something I feel like I wish I had more of, like I wish I had the experience of like a dev who had been working in like blockchain and like building systems at scale for like three years instead of like someone who's like, like I... I'm definitely like technical enough that I can build dApps and everything, but like the level and granularity of understanding is just like not the same as the one who's like actually, you know, built a protocol from the ground up. But, it's all relative, you know? Yeah. Like, I, I guarantee <laughs> there's just as many people who, who look at you and they're like, oh man, like I wish I had that level of depth. <laughs> yeah, it's all, it's all relative. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Emily. I really appreciate everything you shared and I really enjoyed our conversation. Yeah, thank you. So uh, if you all enjoyed the, the podcast, please definitely follow along and subscribe. We'll be releasing more episodes. And um, thanks, everyone, and happy hacking. The State of Developer Education is brought to you by Major League Hacking, or MLH. To find out more about MLH and how we power innovation, cultivate developer communities, and teach technical skills to students around the world, visit mlh.io. And then make sure to search for developer education in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at MLH, thanks for listening and helping us empower the next generation of technologists. Happy hacking!